everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have two incredible guests for you. And one of those guests is Becca. Yeah, I'm I'm jumping into the hot seat. And we are also talking to my rom-com pods co-creator, Rachel. So I have all my work wives here today. Yeah, sure do. Um, I'm a little jealous. I don't I like to be the only wife, but um This truly sounds like the premise of one of your thrillers the two work wives yeah what happened i hope nobody gets murdered in this podcast but truly no guarantees no one's getting murdered i love rachel i know you do so yeah so i guess the exciting news is that rom-com pods launched this week okay i just want to speak on becca's behalf here <laughs> it was not supposed to launch this week sure wasn't um they moved it then they moved it another week and what happened which is great it's hard to be excited about a lot of things right now, but Apple gave them this ginormous banner today. And so they had to move it and re- and publish the content because there was this huge promotion from Apple with just the trailer in there. You want to know the funny thing? We weren't even the people who realized it. That's the best. So all these people, like followers and, and listeners probably, were messaging Becca. And she was like, oh. People were like, congrats. And I was like, on what? Then I found out and we were like, oh, well, I guess we should publish the first episode. So we like hit publish, jump, jumped into the deep end. And here we are. It that's, wasn't. That's like when we got new, new and noteworthy. Like you never know. Apple no. is just like, we're going to do this cool thing for you. We're not going to tell you. We're just going to do it. Yeah. It wasn't our plan A. It wasn't our plan B. Um, hopefully it is some uh, lightness and what is otherwise a very heavy couple of weeks. And, um, you know would love for you to check it out. And and I'm also so excited to have you all meet Rachel because she is one of my coolest friends. We're going to talk all about the creation of the podcast, but also um, all of her travel adventures and the podcast world as well, because she's a professional podcast producer outside of the work that she does with me on Rom-Com Pods. And she's basically a nomad, like in the coolest way. I don't know. If, does that sound weird? Like, no, I always... Like a- She's like an urban nomad. I always refer to her as my most um, free-spirited friend. She's my friend who, if you remember, I've talked about her a couple times, maybe not by name. She was living in Mexico City last year. She was living in London last year. She's kind of just like bebopping around the world. Yeah. I can't even leave for like a night because I have to water my tomato plants every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, now you have tomato children. Mm -hmm. And a cat child. So (laughs) we're excited for everything we have for you today. What we don't have for you today are highs and lows. Our problems feel real and significant right now, and we're not going to bellyache to you about any of them. Agreed. Also, we want to just talk a little bit about getting more Black guests on the podcast. This is a huge focus for us. Please know it is coming. First of all, like most of our Black friends are grieving right now. They're taking some time off of social media. They are tired. So we well-deserved s- time. So we certainly self-care. do not feel comfortable right now asking anyone to do more work. Coming on the podcast is work. It's emotional labor. So we're actively lining up our list of dream guests. Unfortunately, no matter how many times you suggest it, I do not think we can get Michelle Obama to come on. But Michelle, you have an open invitation. The limiting factor in Michelle Obama's guest appearance is not our desire to have Michelle Obama as a guest. Just to every, like the hundreds of people who always suggest Michelle Obama. Whenever we do a call, like who are your dream guests? Everyone says Michelle. And I'm like, guys. Me too. I know. I know. And it's like, we would love to have her. It's not because we're not, we don't want her. So (laughs) we will have some other amazing black women who are authors, book people, business owners. I don't know, just cool gals. We want to be our friend. And if you have suggestions, 
go to the Facebook group, DM us. We'll put up a question box at some point for suggestions. Yeah. But um, no, this is a very, very active focus for us. It's just, it's not like Instagram or a blog post where I can do all the work and Becca can do all the work and we can throw something up there. We need to actually get somebody involved. And right now is not the time to be asking anyone for favors. But it's top of mind for us too. So yeah, we're thinking about it and, you know, definitely want you to hold us accountable, but give us a little bit of time too to put it together. We have some great asks out and we're excited. Yeah. I think one of the highs of this week has been just all of the amazing Black creators that I've been introduced to on social and through books. And so I'm I'm really excited about, um, you know, bringing some of these voices onto the podcast. And we are open to your suggestions. Yeah. So without further ado, let's talk to Rachel. So I am so excited to have all my work wives here today. So Grace, my bad on paper work wife, and Rachel, my rom-com pod work wife. And we're all going to talk. I'm so excited. Let's do it. So for those of you who don't know, and I've been screaming it all over social media, so I hope you know, um, we just launched rom-com pods and we've been working on it for a few months. And the concept is basically that each season, there will be a new rom-com storyline. This season is six episodes, and all the episodes are about 30 minutes. And it's going to go through a full rom-com story, like its own book or movie. Um, and it's kind of like a souped-up audiobook for this audience, I feel like is the best way to describe it. So, you know, when you listen to an audiobook and it's just the narrator kind of doing all these different voices for each character. So in rom-com pods, it's actually actors who are voicing each character. So it's mostly dialogue driven. So when you hear the lead woman and her love interest talking, it's like a man and a woman. It's two different voices and they're they're like going back and forth. Um And then there's also a full soundscape. So if you're in a bar, if you're in a restaurant, it sounds like that. If you're at a waterfall, which is one of the scenes later in the season, like it sounds like it. So there's like a real sense of place to it. So the first season just launched. It is called Honeymoon for One is the name of the first season. And it follows a very uptight Chicago woman who has her whole life totally planned out. She's about to get married. She wants to be pregnant by the time she's 30. She's ready to buy a townhouse. She has everything planned. And the week of her wedding, she finds out that her fiance is cheating on her and she finds out in a truly terrible way. And so she's heartbroken and she's flat broke because her wedding and honeymoon are non-refundable. And she decides to go to Italy on a romantic couples tour by herself on what was supposed to be her honeymoon and gets thrown in with three other couples who are all their own flavor of awful and meet somebody unexpected and spark some romance. Also, the voice actors were so good. I mean, we wrote some crazy characters and I was like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off in a way that doesn't sound ridiculous. And we, we, I mean, credit to our casting, I suppose, but also just the talent of people, especially because we couldn't record in a full studio like we wanted to. We had voice actors who had, you know, good equipment at home, but they're like recording in their closets together with us directing them over Zoom for different scenes. Um, And it was fun and crazy, but I actually am really pleasantly surprised at how the sound quality and everything came out. The actors who who were in it were crazy talented. So I guess first plug, if you haven't, pause this, 
head over to search rom-com pods wherever you're listening and subscribe and check out the first episode. Um, But also, we're going to interview Rachel and I guess Meek too, kind of, and hear all about the backstory and Rachel's life. So let me introduce you. Rachel is the founder and CEO of Pod People, which is a global podcast production and staffing agency making shows for Netflix, Twitter, travel and leisure, and more. She is also the co-creator, writer, director, and producer of the newly launched Rom-Com Pods. And Ooh. Rachel is a dog mom to a stumpy shelter mutt named Butters and makes a mean dry martini. You can attest to that, right? Have I ever made one for you? I don't like dry martinis. Oh. You have oh, made right. me you're, a martini. You're dirty. Yeah. But not a not a dry one. What makes it dry? It doesn't have vermouth. Lack of vermouth. So you just do a vermouth rinse and then there's nothing else. It's just vodka and like a whisper of vermouth. What's a vermouth and, rinse? Uh, it's when you take a little bit of dry vermouth and just rinse it around the glass and then pour it out. Oh, I've never heard of that. Okay. I've just learned something. I'm a dirty martini yeah. drinker too. Most people are. It's so weird because I love salty stuff, but olives are not my jam. Oh. In in every capacity or just on a martini? I will eat them, but I never would seek them out. Hmm. Okay. Like they don't bother me, but I would never be like, yeah, give me those olives. Agree to disagree. I eat olives as a snack. Well, you guys Most make a good combo because they say that like in every married couple, there should be one person who likes olives and one that doesn't so that they can oh. eat the martini olives. Is they how I met your mother? <laughs> What do you mean? I feel like that was a plot line on how was I met your mother. I don't know. Oh, I thought that's where you got it. No, from. my my ex didn't like olives. So someone I just remember someone like a long time ago being like, Oh, well, you guys are perfect because you eat olives and you don't. Like I don't think that's a real thing, but it could be how I met your mother. Okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of playing both sides of the field to this episode. So Grace is gonna interview us about rom-com pods. But then also I said in my Instagram story when I was soliciting questions that Rachel is my most nomadic friend. She lived in London and Mexico City last year and had some cool plans this year that got a little bit disrupted by COVID. Yeah. I did get to do Mexico City for another month. Thank God. And then um, she's also a dog mom and she has her own podcast production company. So we also have tons of questions not about rom-com pods, just about Rachel. She has the scariest dog. He's not scary. He bit me through well, my hand. He bit me. He, I had a fang mark for like a week. People. That's, yeah. yeah. He's so beautiful, he, though. He loves Becca. They've been to three countries together. He's my international man of mystery. He's so mm-hmm. beautiful. Like He's like Tyrion's dog cousin, like looks-wise. I wonder, I was actually thinking about this. I feel like they would either be best friends or mortal enemies. Because Butters doesn't like anyone, but I feel like he would like see a like a true contender in Tyrion. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the night that Butters bit Grace and <laughs> Grace was being a no, I was being nice. What what he does is he comes he comes up to you yeah. and he sits and he looks at you like so sweetly, like like yeah. pet me. Like obviously your reflex is to reach down. Despite being told he doesn't like new people, don't touch right. him. I saw him and he gave me those eyes and I mm-hmm. pet him and then he bit me. He's he tricks people. Yeah. yeah, he's a manipulator. He's a manipulative little shit. It's true. So anyway, that night before that happened, Grace had brought Tyrion upstairs because she wanted him to meet Butters. Yeah. Mm. Tyrion had a full nervous breakdown and ended up <laughs> hyperventilating in my closet. Yeah. So he had to go back downstairs. He's not an out-of-the-home cat. He likes to be in home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I brought him out on the patio today. I put him on the turf. He didn't like it. That tracks. I was like, this is grass. This will be nice for you. And he was like, nope. That tracks. All right, Grace, you're in charge. You're asking the questions. Okay. All right, guys. So 
from GOMPODS. It launched on Monday. It did. Yay. Although, as of recording, it hasn't launched yet. Yeah, so, so it's, we're talking about it like it's already launched. I hope it's really successful. It launched. So it broke scared. the internet. It set a million records. I hope so. Um, yeah. But guys, what inspired you both to start Rom-Com Pods? I feel like our friendship has always had a central pillar of love for rom-coms, like since the beginning. It has, but I think this is actually so funny because Rachel had pushed this idea many times in many different permutations. So (laughs) we share a common dream of wanting to write a Netflix or Lifetime or Hallmark Christmas movie. Like the two of us, every Christmas, I save the Christmas movies to watch with Rachel. Like we love a good, cheesy Netflix Christmas movie. Right. And so Rachel had tried to get me to like brainstorm ideas with her or like write a Christmas movie with her a bunch of times. And I was like, stop putting work on my plate. And there were even Google Docs. Like, I remember her sending this brainstorm doc to me and our other friend, Maxie. And I didn't take it seriously at all. I think, like, my number one idea was about a woman falling in love with a stripper with a heart of gold. But it was a Christmas movie. Um, I was not taking it seriously. I was like, no, I don't have time for this. I think you probably brought it up, like, two or three times trying to get this going. Agree. First of all, I feel like the stripper with a heart of gold could be a fantastic Christmas movie. Let's back burner that. Just saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, And yes, I've wanted to do something like this forever. I feel like you have such a wide knowledge of all things rom-com and that ours are very complimentary. Like you will often suggest a movie that I've somehow never seen. um, And I try to do the same. Um, Sometimes you hate them. Sometimes we don't agree. But I feel like when we do like Chalet Girl, like we have a very- I was going to ask you. That was going to be my question I asked because she made me watch it. And Mm. oh, best movie of all time. Oh, Grace hates it. I'm going to leave now. You guys can interview (laughs) yourselves. Um, I love Chalet Girl with my whole heart. Me too. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's the perfect level of cheese, and it has such a star-studded cast. It does have a star-studded cast. It's such an unexpected combo. (laughs) That's the thing is you have to go into it with zero expectations. Grace, you might have gone into it like expecting something great. It was hyped. It was a direct-to-TV movie. Yeah, right, sure. for sure. Yeah. So anyway, so Rachel had tried to get this going a bunch of times and I was not into it because I was too busy. I, like I wasn't looking for a new thing. So then over Christmas, I was in LA with Rachel. And if you remember earlier this year on the podcast, I was talking about how one of my goals for 2020 was to find more passion in work and that I was feeling like not super fulfilled by my freelance work. And So I was talking to her about that and somehow this came back around and she was like, would you want to do this? And it was kind of just a right time, right place thing because it wasn't a new idea. It was something that we talked about and I wasn't interested in. And then all of a sudden she caught me and I was like, let's try it. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. So we started in earnest on it, I think towards like the end of January. Yeah, late January, I think was when we sent out like our three best ideas to some close friends to like vote on. Yeah. And I feel like even through March, we were kind of in it with no commitments because we were like, what if we're terrible at this? What if we hate it? And then I think 
we turned the corner as we got deeper in. We were like, oh no, we're doing this. Let's throw, throw good money after bad because we're too deep into this now. And also I had not written a script of any kind. I mean, I've done a lot of writing. I've been in communications basically my whole career and like helping brands tell their stories, but this is totally different. So I didn't know what the writing process was going to be like, especially, but I knew having a partner would be better for me for accountability. And I just like having a partner in general on projects. Um, but I feel like we accidentally really figured it out. Like we took turns. So there are six episodes. So we each wrote the first draft of one of them and then traded and made it better. And then we just kept going. And I think the biggest testament to the writing process is that it's so muddled up at this point that I couldn't necessarily tell you who wrote what parts. I don't even remember whose idea this was, like the whole, the one that we chose ultimately was. But that's this is a common theme because I will constantly be writing things tipsy and the next day leave comments like not the next day, but like, you know, a few weeks later, leave comments that are like, this is so funny. Well done. And you're like, you wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. John, get it sober, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I feel like we kind of just we hit on something that worked. Maybe in three seasons, we're going to be like, we were such idiots. Like this was not how you're supposed to write it. But it's working for now. It is. Well, and I feel like it helps that we're both super executors, I think. Um, Because I just knew like going into the like, we're both the kind of person where if I feel like I'm not pulling my weight, and I've heard you say this, I'm freaking out. Like I feel so guilty. Same. What's your Enneagram type? I don't really believe in that stuff. But I think (laughs) last time I did one of them, it was like a three and an eight. I think you're a three. That's what I would have put you as. Grace and I are both threes. And I think you're a three wing four. Yeah, that, that sounds right. But we'll make you take the test because I believe in it enough for both of us. Okay, great. (laughs) Wait, so guys, can you describe the script writing process from ideation to revision? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing was we came up with a bunch of ideas. We had eight, ten ideas. Like some of them are just still on the back burner because they were seasonal and they didn't make sense for now. Some of them we just like weren't that strongly we didn't feel that strongly about, but we we like brainstormed a bunch of concepts. And it's really funny because I have always wanted to write a book. And I feel like I've said in my head that the blocker is always that I don't have a good idea. And somehow mm. just sitting down to brainstorm has uncorked something where now I'm like, I have more ideas than I know what to do with. You, every time you go on a walk, you come back with a new idea for this season, for a new season. Yeah. I love your walks. Your walks are quite fruitful for me. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So we we had a bunch of ideas and then we narrowed it down to three and then we sent a survey to like 10 people of our close friends, some people who work in publishing or TV, and then some people who just read a lot or we thought would be the target audience. And we were like, which idea do you like the best? And there was there were two ideas that both came back super favorable. And then we kind of talked about it and decided that we thought one of them, the one that we went with, would be more fun to write. So mm-hmm. we executive decisioned it and went with that one. And I'm glad. Yeah. I think we chose the right one for the first. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, deciding to write about a season that goes to Italy in non-COVID times has actually been really fun because I am such a travel person. And so it's kind of, I don't know, it's nice to think about and like lose yourself in the way things were before and hopefully will be again. Yeah, it was a good escape. So then once we had the idea, we thankfully, I think Lisa Frame recommended this to us, but somebody was like, buy the Save the Cat book about screenwriting. So Mm -hmm. because we had no idea how to do this, we were just like, we have this idea and now what? So we, we bought a book on screenwriting and then we bought 
the Save the Cat book on writing a novel. And it's basically just a book about plotting, like how to plot a story and all the different types of stories that you can write. So we followed that pretty closely as an outline for like, what are the beats that you hit? And so then we took the idea and we like matched it to this where it's like, okay, what's the setup like what's the fun and games piece of it what's the midpoint what's like the crisis Mm -hmm. what's the end Mm -hmm. and so we like plotted it out like that and then we broke it down into six episodes we were like very focused on having six episodes which is totally arbitrary and so we like yeah created a very detailed bullet outline And I think it was important that we had a super detailed outline because we were co-writing it. So we were already agreed on the plot before we even wrote a word of it. Like we knew what was going to happen broadly, even if we didn't necessarily know how it was going to happen or like the details. But we were aligned on like a macro level. Mm -hmm. And then we suffered through the first draft, which was really hard, but also really rewarding. Like every time we'd have a breakthrough or like one of us would have a good night of writing and the next morning be like, I solved this or I created a new character. He's the worst. You're going to love him. Um, And then once we had a, you know, decent ish first draft or really second draft, that's when we sent it to some friends who have expertise or we knew would really like love rom-coms and would be able to give us feedback. And that was really helpful too. Yeah. So then we got feedback and we incorporated it into to the script. I would say we probably had three, like three drafts-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the script is 80 pages versus a movie script is usually 120 pages versus a book manuscript would be a couple hundred pages. So Yeah. And it, it's 30,000 words. Yeah. So it's definitely lighter, a, a lighter undertaking than writing a book or a movie. So we did the whole thing in two and a half months, which seems nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And my friends who do write screen scripts of various kinds said that we're absolutely insane, that it's incredible that we wrote it this fast. For better or for worse, we'll find out. Yeah, TBD, you tell us. I read right. it. I thought it was great. Thank you. So, now- And for me, I've always wanted to do, a, like I, because I've worked in audio for four plus years now, like my vision was always a podcast versus a book. I love consuming books and movies, but I've never had the desire to make one. Whereas audio to me is like this perfect medium of a medium, I guess, where it's like in between the two, where it's really dynamic and alive because you can hear what's happening, but your imagination can still run away with you the way it can with a book because you're imagining what the characters look like and painting the picture with your own mind. Yeah. I, I like don't know how to respond to that. It's really cool though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick ad break. So Grace, I don't know about you, but I am getting so sick of cooking. I am straight up out of ideas. So I just got a HelloFresh box last week and wow, that was such a good idea. Everything was delicious. I didn't have to meal plan or grocery shop. So if you guys haven't tried it already, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. The meals are so delicious and they have different recipes to try every single week. So there's something for everyone, um, whether you want low calorie, vegetarian, or family friendly. And what's so great, especially right now, is that they deliver right to your door. And all of the meals come with perfectly portioned ingredients, instructions with photos to make cooking totally foolproof, and most meals can be cooked in just 30 minutes. They handle all the shopping and planning so I can just cook, eat, and enjoy. And it's completely flexible, so you can change your delivery day, your food preferences, or skip a week whenever you need to. You can also 
also add extra proteins or sides like garlic bread, which is my personal favorite. I love garlic bread to your order to help stock your fridge without ever leaving your house. So in my box, I got the Gouda pork burgers. Those are my favorite. It is my all-time favorite HelloFresh meal. If you see it on there, definitely get it. It is so freaking good. It was such a nice change of pace. And honestly, it is so easy. And with this one, the portion ingredients are so key. Like I can't just go to the store and buy two slices of Gouda or like two buns. I need to get like eight buns. So I love that all of this food is pre-portioned. So I get exactly what I'm going to use. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 60BOP and use code 60BOP to get $60 off of your first three weeks. This includes free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 60BOP and use code 60BOP to get $60 off your first three weeks. This includes free shipping on your first box. Now back to the episode. All right, so you guys have no idea who came up with the first season's story. I mean, I, I came up with it, but I, I... I feel like Becca came up okay. with it because she made a face when Rachel said she didn't know who made up... made. <laughs> no, that sounds right. But, but it's not important to me. <laughs> I mean, Becca, Becca raised an eyebrow. Rachel was like, I don't know who came up with the idea. And I just look... I got a quick glance at Becca's face and she, I knew she had it because she she just made the Becca face. I'm such a megalomaniac. I don't even really care about getting the credit, but apparently <laughs> I do. But apparently just, she does. I just meant that as a genuine testament to like, I literally don't know where it began, begins and ends in terms of who did what. But yes. yeah, that sounds right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But more importantly, how do you guys handle creative differences? We have- uh, we've had a couple tiebreakers from friends. Like, most of the time we just agree or one of us will feel strongly and the other one won't. And so we'll just be like, great, if you feel strongly, you can have it. There's only been like twice where we actually sent something to a friend that it was more like a, a funny, like whether a joke worked or not. And so we would send it to a friend to like, let us know if they got it. Yeah. I would say that we haven't had any major creative differences oh, no. where one of us thinks the story should go one direction. Another one thinks it should go another or like on big ideas like the the creative differences we've had are really small, so it's easy to let go. I don't know. Ask us after season three and like maybe we're not right. speaking anymore. <laughs> the other day I was on a video chat with Rachel. I can't remember for what reason, but we were with other people. And she's like, I just realized that we finished the first season and I don't hate you. And I was like, oh, was that like an underlying assumption that like you would hate me by the end of this? She actually just didn't want to be your friend anymore. So she's like, let's do a, do a business together. Let's do it. Oh my God. No, it was because another friend had just suggested to me that it was impressive that we were still so close, if not closer, after going through this process. So I feel like they were maybe maybe had had a bad experience and were projecting. But I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I don't know. I didn't mean it as a um, pointed remark. No, I, I was just joking. I just thought it was funny when you were like, guess what? We still like each other. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize that we weren't going to. Um, but no, we haven't had any major creative differences. It's been a pretty easy compromise process where even like the giving up things, it's like, eh, it's like in the scheme of things, it's a minor thing. So like, if you feel strongly about this, like, take it. I think the disagreements that we've, the things that we do disagree on are hilarious. They're such tiny, insignificant details. And it's it's like the inflection in someone's voice when they deliver a joke. Yeah. What would you say the hardest part of producing the podcast was? And do you have any funny stories? Casting was a, a beast. 
I feel but like- it, I didn't dislike it. I just felt like it was a beast of a project, especially because we did it so fast. Yeah. I feel like the writing process was the best, most fun part. And then I feel like the production part was really hard. And I feel like maybe that's because I haven't done it before. I really liked the recording sessions and directing and things like that. But I thought the production process was hard. And I've heard other authors express this. Like we were talking to Rebecca Searle about this, where I think it's really hard for if you write something then to like birth it into creation where it's like you can picture it so clearly in your head, but then how do you get that out to look and feel like that outside of your head? So, you know, it was like, okay, we have all these characters and it was like, okay, now we need to cast it and find the people who we're thinking of in our head outwardly who can be that person or, you know, like with the music or things like that. So I think some of it was just a learning curve, but I do think it was hard to like get like we obviously the script on paper, but then to get like the feel of it to match how we were envisioning it being like so close and living in this world. Yeah, I agree. I just have to say for the record, though, as someone who runs a podcast production company and has hired and worked with at least 100 different producers now, Becca's probably one of the best I worked with and she had never done this before. Oh, thank you. It is because I have finally found an outlet for a very intense color-coded Google Sheet, which Grace (laughs) knows from working with me that I love, but it doesn't have the same application for bad on paper that it does for rom-coms. It's magical. And that when we are looking for people to hire um, for our full-time team, we will sometimes ask them to do an exercise like creating a production calendar for a fake show. And if they do a color-coded Google Sheet, it's basically an automatic hire. Now you know how to get a job with yeah. Rachel. Yep. Okay, so you've touched on this as well, but and it's so different. But what was what what are some similarities and then differences about creating this versus bad on paper? It's more expen- expensive for one. <laughs> I mean, creating a chat podcast, we just like bought microphones, sat down and recorded an episode. Like there was no overhead. We edited it yeah. ourselves. It was spent $500 on a logo. Yeah, it was it was very cheap. Like I think we started it for probably like what seven or eight hundred dollars. Yeah, I think we each put in five hundred dollars. Yeah, this is a whole different animal where we've had to pay actors. I think there's there's over twenty actors. I don't know the exact count off the top of my head. We have a production assistant who helped with all of the transcribing of the audio. We have an editor who actually puts the script together from different cuts because it's not as if we just got everyone on a Zoom and we like read it in order. Like there's yeah. tons of takes and like different sessions for different characters. Um, so the editing process is really intense. And then we have a sound designer. So, I mean, the biggest thing is that this is, it's more expensive, but it's also more time consuming. Like it's just, it almost feels like making a TV show rather than like, I feel like, bad on paper kind of felt like making a YouTube channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I feel like that's a good enough, a good comparison. Not that like one is better or worse. It's just. Yeah. And I'd say that making a YouTube channel is harder than making bad on paper. <laughs> well, I mean, we also it was really low stakes. Like we yeah. did it as a lark. So I also feel yeah. like there was less pressure You're- at the outset where we just were like, let's do it and see versus this because we've put more money in it because it needs to be more polished i feel like there's more pressure off the bat too yeah versus i you've done this i haven't gone back and listened to the first episode again i'm sure i would be horrified to listen to the first bat on paper episode 
I still remember when we launched it and I thought it was so good. And then I listened to it and I was like, maybe we should delete this. Like, it's real bad. <laughs> We're not deleting it. But if, if you want to laugh, listen to our first episode. Oh, man. Um, I just have to say, like, yes, it's a lot of our money. It's a scary amount of our money for sure. Because like you and I are just all in on this self-funded. Sure are. But in comparison to the projects we've done for clients, which granted, we're trying to turn a profit as well, but still like doing a full season of a scripted show with multiple actors and coming in, the budget is insanely low for like for our client shows, they're anywhere from like Fifty to three hundred thousand dollars for a season. Um, so I think that we did a really good job of like keeping it lean while making something that we can truly be proud of. That sounds really good. That has great sound design. I don't know. I I'm very proud of us for how we've managed the budget, even though it's terrifying. I'm also proud might- that we set a budget at the outset, and it was pretty on target. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having never done this before, I mean, what did I know being like, here's how much we're going to spend on this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew, but I also knew that we might double it and we didn't. So that's great. Hooray. Um, okay, Rachel, this question's for you. What has been your favorite part of collaborating with Becca? I swear I didn't write this question. Two people um, wrote it. Honestly, I just feel like this is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke up her ass. I have no reason to. She's already in bed with me. So uh, professionally. So but honestly, everything I feel like we're so complimentary. Like when one of us is not feeling creative, the other person will like power through and like have a creative breakthrough that like motivates us to keep going again. Um, Like I talked out talked about we both freak out if we feel like we're not pulling our weight. I have felt so guilty, especially for the last month. I just, I constantly feel guilt because pod people stuff has been insanely busy while rom-com pods was like the last month before launch. Um, So it's been like super stressful for me, but in a good way, like the fact that we executed it as quickly as we wanted to. And like we said, June 1st was the date we said from the beginning and it's happening. I did not expect us to actually hit that. And I also thought that we would go over budget. So I don't know. I feel like we're really good partners. We're both not precious. Like if we have an idea or something we want to use, it's very rare that one of us will like put a stake in the ground and be like, no, I need to have this. I don't know that we ever did that. Um, I don't feel precious about anything. I feel like it's just a really, really fun process. And I don't know. I just can't wait for the future seasons also because now that we know how to do it we have so many more ideas for how to make it better not even better like I honestly feel like it's pretty good for our first go around but I do like we have so many more ideas of things that we want to make and I can't wait and Becca what was your favorite part of working with Rachel okay so I would say two things okay can I say okay so at a very high level doing this with a partner was so magical because I feel like I never I would have stopped eight zillion times. So not even about Rachel, but just like doing a partnered project was really great. Um, But Rachel specifically is my favorite person to brainstorm with. She's like has a very good brainstorming energy. She has a lot of weird ideas. I feel like also Rachel can write a really small, stupid joke that is hilarious. Like there are, I feel like I would write a lot of things and it would be like Swiss cheesy where it would be like fill in later, like needs a joke here, blah, blah, blah. And Rachel could like go back and write like really funny little jokes like 
not maybe not even jokes but just like details that were like so funny like I feel like we really complimented each other in the writing process too in that Rachel clean went behind me and cleaned up my mess where I was like <laughs> brackets to come yeah that makes well, sense. and vice versa. I would struggle with a scene for like two weeks trying to figure out. And then you would just be like, I'm just going to do it. And you'd fix it. And then I'd make it better. And then it was done. Now, why a podcast before writing a book? Because you both have mentioned wanting to write a book someday. No. Neg- oh, sorry. Opposite for me. I've never. Oh, I thought you wanted <laughs> I, to. No. She wants I, to write a I Lifetime love- movie. I do. That's true. Um, but I would want it to be, yeah, like a very cheesy, preferably Christmas but like rom-com for Lifetime, Hallmark, Netflix, that vein. Okay. That is the, yeah, that does interest me. A book, I don't know. I mean, if someone came to us and wanted to turn a rom-com pod season into a book for money, we would definitely figure it out. Um, but I love audio storytelling. That's really, in terms of creating it, that's really where my interest lies. I do want to write a book. I have always wanted to write a book. And it feels like such a big, scary goal that for some reason, I think one, having a partner in doing this made it feel more manageable. So I wasn't in it alone. But then also, it's kind of lower stakes because we set out that we were going to do this in five months. It was going to be 80 pages versus 300 pages. And so I feel like there was more room to like learn and figure it out Mm -hmm. where I can almost kind of see it being a journey where it's like, okay, we're going to do like five series, five seasons of rom-com pods. And by the end of that, I'm going to be so much better at telling a story than if I just sat in my office and tried to brute force my way through writing a book. Yeah. Kind of like an introduction almost. Kind of. Like I've tried. I don't even want to say try. I have thought about writing a book seriously twice. I have two documents on my computer. I would not even say I gave it a college try. I gave it a middle school try. (laughs) And it just felt like such a daunting thing. So I Mm -hmm. feel like this just was like, rip the bandaid, let's do it. And I've learned so much even in the first season about just how to plot a story and just flexed my writing muscle in terms of writing something medium long form to figure out, okay, I feel less scared by the prospect of writing a book at some point in the future. Now I have no time to write a book, but you know, (laughs) I feel more confident that I could do it. Yeah. Question for both of you. What are your top three rom-coms besides Chalet Girl or include Chalet Girl? This is so hard. Rachel, you go I don't first. think so. I love Chalet Girl. I don't think it would make it into my top three because that it's also like just a special thing that I will watch it when I introduce someone else to it. But otherwise, I just watch it with Becca once a year and it's like my favorite evening. It's like, let's get Cacio Pepe from Vix around Christmas time and watch Chalet Girl. Yeah. That's a perfect December evening. Um, and obviously, a bottle of red. And, but I think my top three rom coms of all time, if I was pushed, which I am. That's what this is. Huh. Okay. While you were sleeping with Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman. Oh my God. Bill Pullman in 92 or whatever that was. Uh, yes, please. Um, it's around the same era as when he was the president for Independence Day to give you an idea. Okay. How do you feel about present day Bill Pullman? Still do it for you? Of course. Okay. I was just wondering. Yeah. yeah. No, he's held up pretty well. Um, it's really about his Sandy voice. He kind of has yeah, a Robert that Redford voice. thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I loved him in, okay. um, what was that series that Jessica Biel was in? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I need to. Oh, I don't know I either. obsessed with it. The only thing I can and think I that Jessica Biel was in was Seventh Heaven, Seventh which I Heaven. don't think Bill Pullman was no, in. No, she he was in it, um, The Sinner. Oh, I didn't watch that. Oh, it was great. I didn't. All right. Oh, yeah. Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, second is Forget Paris. 
It is with Billy Crystal during the era of When Harry Met Sally. And I love When Harry Met Sally, but Forget Paris is better and nobody knows about it. Um, It's so much smarter and funnier and a little darker. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's so, and I think, I think it holds up. I mean, I've loved it for 20 years or however long it's been since it came out, but I a hundred percent think it holds up. Do yourself a favor if you haven't seen it. Cause no one has. And finally, obviously last holiday with Queen Latifah. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. So we did a PowerPoint presentation or a PowerPoint party at the beginning of quarantine. And I can't remember the specific title. What, Rachel, do you, do you know it off the top of your head of your presentation? It, I think it was just the greatest Christmas movie of all time. No, it was better than that. It was something about like Queen Latifah's friendship with LL Cool J in the movie The Last Holiday. Like, I feel like it was ultra specific. Oh, yeah. They're lesbian bromance. Okay. No, that that wasn't about LL Cool J. That was about the chef, Chef DDA. Oh, about the chef. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Becca? Um, Okay. So I think my number one is The Wedding Date with Deborah Messing. Oh, so good. God, I love that movie with uh, where Dermot Mulroney is the male escort. Oh, it's mm. so good. Have you never seen it, Grace? I've seen it. Oh, you just I don't just like don't it. I don't agree. <laughs> okay. We have different tastes in a lot well, of things. Well, you have to go after this, too. I want to hear what you're saying. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't prepare anything. Well, better start thinking. Um, my second one would be Friends with Kids, which I feel like mm. is a very underrated movie across the board. Um, it, I love it. Yeah. Where, you know I'm an Adam Scott stan. Oh, yeah. You, so. you are an Adam Scott stan. Where um, Jennifer Westfeld and Adam Scott are best friends, and they decide to have a kid together. And it has such a great star-studded cast. Um, and then my last one. Oh, this is so hard. Rachel, what would my last one be? Ooh, American President? No. That's I like that one, but I don't, I don't. Yeah. It's not in my top five. Just give it to Chalet Girl. It could be Chalet Girl. You know what? I'm. This is only, I'm only saying this because of recency, but I watched Sleeping with Other People this weekend. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Oh, it is yeah. good. I loved it. I did too. I don't think it's my top three, but I don't know. I mean, like Notting Hill. I don't know if that thing oh. you do counts, but I love that thing you do. I don't know. I can't pick a third. Okay, Grace, what are Notting, yours? Notting Hill's incredible. Notting Hill's great. I would say mine are um, Something's Gotta Give. You know, I love Jack Nicholson. I love I an old do. people romance. And you love Nancy Myers. I love Nancy, anything Nancy Myers. I love um so that's like definitely that's like really up there i also loved how to lose a guy in 10 days Mm -hmm. and then i would say this one i'm i'm not sure if it's in my top three but i rewatched it recently and i was like i forgot how good that is is um home again with reese witherspoon also a nancy myers movie ah so i watched that for the first time it's last weekend or the weekend before and it was great i really liked it i'd never seen it but i was not satisfied with the culmination of the romance story. Yeah, no, that's it's not like I'm not even sure if it's a romance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But right. I, I love it. Not not necessarily a rom com. It is yeah. cute though. It is, I agree it's with you so about cute. the ending. But if you go into it with zero expectations, it's gonna be a good night. Yeah. 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 I okay. really liked that one. And I think I was preparing for it to not be good. And then I loved it. And that's like kind of like what probably happened to you guys with Chalet Girl and why you love it so much. I also just have a really big it's Ed Westwick movie. thing. I love Ed Westwick. Rewatching yeah. Gossip Girl right now. Are you? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. That and White Collar, I kind of alternate as them as my friends in the background. When Becca and I are on vacation and we need a background watch to nap to, we always put on Gossip Girl. I love it. I love it. It's such a good show. 
We're going to take one last quick break to tell you about a podcast we think you might like. So a lot is happening in the world, and personally, I'm finding it very hard to find the right balance of news consumption. So today we want to tell you about Skim This. So it's Skim with two M's. So it's a podcast from The Skim that cuts through the noise. They're breaking down the biggest developments and most complex stories of the week in under 30 minutes to give you the context on why they matter. Because in today's world, with so much changing, context is clarity. Skim This is clearing things up every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the episode. Um, what's one rom-com trope you love and one that you hate? Mm. I, I feel like Becca and I are going to have the same one. Okay. So one that I, I'll go hate first. The one that I hate is when the woman owns a bakery. That's mine too. I hate it. <laughs> I cannot stand it. It is okay in, in the beauty and the baker because the man owns the baker, bakery. So that's yeah. a f- good exception. Um. I will tolerate it sometimes, like that um, terrible Vanessa Hudgens Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I wasn't expecting it to be awesome, so it was fine. Um, I hate when women own bakeries. I also hate when they move from a big city to a small town. That's I don't mine. That. High powered. I also yeah. watch it. I totally will. Oh, same. Like the one with that girl who like needs to go back to the town where her father's toy company. It was a Netflix one two years ago. Her father's toy company, and she like needs to deliver a letter in order to yes. inherit. Oh, the Christmas inheritance. I yeah. hate the one with Jake one. Lacey, right? Yeah, I, I love it. that one. Yeah, me too. But that is the trope that I really don't like, where it's like a high power. Well, that was different because she was just an asshole. She was like a spoiled brat who needed to learn the values of living in a small town and being a good person. So that was a little bit different. And the meaning of but Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas, of course. But I do hate when it's like a high-powered, ambitious woman who needs to learn how to like put her career aside and focus on love. Yeah. I don't know. And then the one I love is I will watch, listen to, read anything that is famous person meets non-famous person. I don't know what that says about me, but I will, I will re- consume that in any permutation you give me. Yeah. I love when women end up teaming up together against a man who has wronged them and then ideally at the end of the film there's like a amazing dude waiting in the wings to treat our protagonist the right way like the other woman i was just gonna say that that's one of my Mm. favorites yeah i love that i love anything where it's like i mean even like friendship rom-coms where it ends up being more about women's friendships and like leaning on each other which says a lot about me and where i'm at in my life i Mm -hmm. think but it's it feeds my soul yeah. What's your favorite trope, Grace? I think it's when the two when women team up against the man. Okay. And that's why I was so let down by that book that we just read, The Girlfriend Project. The Boyfriend Project. The Boyfriend Project. Yeah. Boyfriend. I haven't read it yet. I wasn't um, let down. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. I I still love the book, but it, the it was just falsely advertised. Yeah. Um okay. So guys, what can you tell us about season 2? It's happening. It's happening regardless of what happens with season 1 is the biggest thing that I can tell you. Yep. Were we not saying what the high level one sentence theme is? No, we can say high- we can say that. Yeah. Okay. It's an election trail romance. So it will be launching in October. Um, it has nothing to do with the current candidates. Like it's not meant to be a play on real world, but it is an election trail romance. So it will feel timely when it comes out this fall. Yes, we're very excited. I also very. feel very committed to season three just because I love the idea for it so much. There's no way we're not doing that. It's happening. But I feel like we need to get some traction in order to feel yeah. 
ready to financially so, commit to a third hey, season. Share it with a friend. Please. <laughs> please. Share it with a friend. Put it on your Instagram story. Leave it a review. There's what a do you guys you call it? Make. Moment of desperation? Desperation. We need it. like another word for this. This is like yeah. next level because we have so much money sunk into this thing. Yeah, we need what it is, to go well. What's the what's the level below desperation? Desperation. Um like, but what's the story. basement in des- like yeah. the building of desperation? I feel like you're desperate and then you're just like, I was going to say ravenous, but that's not right. Thirsty? Uh, if anyone has thirst. an idea of what thirst. our moment is here in the sub-basement of desperation, just let us know. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, wait. I know I have another question. Um, what is your dream for rom-com pods to be in five years? Oof. You go first, Rach. Okay. I mean, just massive. I feel like there's a couple different avenues it could take. One of them that I see is that it it just goes really, really well. And it becomes, you know, something that you and I run, but we will bring on certain writers to like pitch their ideas. And then you and I do the outline and like make it, you know, we'd still be involved as the creators and the writers, but that we would have uh, teams for each project so that we'd be able to have more than, you know, right now we're planning on three per year, because that's how many you and I can do if we are executive producing and writing everything. Um, So I think, you know, if it just goes really well, that means we can hire more people, we can have more teams, we can have more stories. But obviously, we're creating something original. We're creating IP. There is an option. This is going to be redundant. There is the possibility for it to be optioned or licensed and turned into other things. And obviously, that's very interesting. Yeah, I agree 100%. I feel like I would I would love for this to be what I'm doing professionally. I can see this becoming a business where obviously a podcast like that on paper can become a business. But I feel like these you know personality-driven things are... I think they're just like harder to gamble on, you know, versus this is like a content studio where it feels like a little bit more of a business model than just being like, I hope people on the internet like me. Yeah. Which can work like your proof that your business is yourself and your blog. But um, well, I'm- but Grace also has multiple revenue streams totally. for it, which is really smart. So I feel like that's kind of what you're doing too. Like Bad on Paper is an incredible platform uh, where it, but you can also have different multiple revenue streams and they all tap into different pieces. Like the marketing that you do for your agency, like that is an incredible skill to have that can pay very well, but this could be like a creative piece and then bad on paper is such a wonderful partnership and a platform community that you're building. I don't know. I feel like they all fit together. Kind of, but I feel like this feels like a full-time job, whereas bad on paper is something that we could continue to do at a smaller time commitment. So it's not that I would ever want to stop doing it, but it's just not like a full-time job versus this whole process where in some ways it's been to our benefit that we've done this in quarantine because we don't have anything Mm -hmm. else to do. Yeah. But it is like a full-time job. Yeah. 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 I know. Thank God that quarantine Castings and recordings all day long for something that's only six episodes. Like. Right. Yeah. I I think we had like 30 hours of recordings. Mm -hmm. I think I calculated it at one point. Yeah. It's just a totally yeah. different. Totally. And this, like, obviously, I wish the pandemic didn't happen. But if it had to happen, it was good timing because I am such a social butter. Like, I go out for, you know, not crazy. I don't, like, go clubbing. But, like, happy hours and dinners and networking stuff. Um, I have a very full social calendar generally, which this has also been an interesting le- lesson that maybe I don't need to be that way because I kind of don't hate staying in. I just don't know that if I had my normal social calendar that we would have got it done as fast as we did. So I'm really actually glad that, you know, if we had to be quarantined, obviously I don't wish the pandemic happened, but if it had to happen, I'm glad that it happened when it did because we got this done really fast. 
Yeah. So I'm jumping out of the hot seat. Rachel, you're all alone in the fire. All right. The fire of our hard-hitting questions. Bring it. Okay. So the people wanted to know more about pod people. Can you tell the pod people backstory? Yeah. So I was working in-house at a startup doing leading their communications and content marketing and all of that. And I knew that I wanted to go out on my own at some point. I'm just not a good employee. I don't like working for other people. I don't like other people telling me what to do or where to be or what my schedule should look like. And I'd been at startups for years and didn't really get to travel, obviously, because um, you just, you're expected to work, you know, 80 hour weeks. And so I finally got up the courage to go out on my own, started a PR firm. Um, At first I was so low, but then it did really well, which was great. And so I brought on a partner who joined me. Um, Actually, that was Eshwarya Iyer, who's the founder of Brightland, which Grace, I've seen on your Instagram lately, which makes me so happy. I love Um, Brightland. I know, me too. I've been cooking so much. So um, it's been great for that as well. Um, And Eshwarya and I had the best time working together, but we both, it was like a really great couple of years but we both got so burnt out on PR that we just couldn't do it anymore. And we were trying to think of what another business was that we could start together. But I was super passionate about podcasts and knew that I wanted to go into that. Even some of our PR clients had started asking if it was something that we could help them with because I'd had a show of my own called The She Pod for a couple of years. Um, and Ash loves podcasts, but not like I do, not where she wanted to like make them for brands. Um, so she started Brightland and we are each other's biggest cheerleaders and I miss working with her all the time. Uh, but I transitioned, this was end of 2017, transitioned into pod people. Um, so we shuttered the PR firm and my vision was, you know, there are all these brands who want to make podcasts and they have no idea what their audio strategy should look like or how to make a show or who they need and how to just how to get it done. And then there are all these independent producers who are super talented, but maybe don't love having to do the business side of things, drumming up clients, managing, you know, negotiations and contracts. And so we would be that go between who could handle all of that, find the projects. And then we have two sides of the business. One is full service production where we will just make the show from beginning to end. We'll help you figure out what it should be and then pull in the perfect team from this network of 700 now producers who have the right expertise uh, for the given project. Or we operate as a staffing company. So if you have a smaller budget or you just need like one person to help you with a project, maybe a specific kind of editor or producer, sound designer, whatever it is, we will just send you the best candidates um, and you pay us a staffing fee, but then you work with them directly instead of us overseeing the whole project. So that's, yeah, that's the biz. It's been three years and um, it's going well, knock on wood. I'm like so scared for the recession to, you know, tank us, but so far it's actually been busier. Cause I think a lot of companies that weren't prioritizing audio are, since it's one of the things that you can develop and make remotely. So most of our projects have continued on and we've even had a few new ones from people who companies who were not ready to take the plunge. And now they're like, all right, we can focus on audio now. That's great. Where do you see the podcast industry going in the next 10 years? Oh, okay. I have thoughts on this. I'm going to try and keep it brief because this might be really boring for people who are not interested in the industry. But honestly, everything hinges on what Apple decides to do in the next two to three years, whether they make a serious play to compete with Spotify as Spotify is gunning for world domination. Um, And there are smaller challengers who could potentially do it as well. Google 
Audible and Amazon, Stitcher even, Pandora, if they ever really decide to focus on it. But Apple already has the resources in like 60 to 70% of the listener, listenership market. And they've got like the technology. They've If they wanted to truly compete and like stop Spotify in their tracks, uh, I think that they could within a couple of years. They would need to acquire shows, make really good original programming, which there's already rumblings that that is happening. They would need to start working like exclusivity deals with shows the way Spotify is, which I don't love for the market, but that would be a smart play. They need to fix their app and make it better and make a version for Androids like they have done with the music. And they would potentially need to figure out how to let us monetize and take fees from, you know, plugging in ads. Like they should just buy Megaphone or Simplecast and create it as a thing. Anyway, if they don't do that, Spotify will probably achieve some form of global domination in terms of audio in about five years, which would suck for indie shows and everyone who wants to make their own because then they control just like YouTube did. Like, oh, it seems great at first. They let creators have, you know, their own ads and make all the money and do it however they want to. But then once they have ownership, then they make the rules and we all have to play by them. So it'll be like a single monopoly dominant closed circuit platform that is controlling everything. Um, and so far, they've been benevolent leaders. I'm not anti-Spotify by any means. I'm grateful to them for like making, opening up the industry to a ton of money and, you know, bringing in serious VC dollars and the acquisitions that they've made are really great for like my friends who got money from them, a lot of money from them. But, you know, I'm just always scared of a monopoly. So I would love to see Apple or another network, not network isn't the right platform, like make a serious play to keep it from becoming a monopoly. That's my hope. What about on the listenership side? What do you mean? I mean, do you do you see podcasts becoming much more um, like mainstream? And I mean, I know I don't know what the stats are on like how many people listen to podcasts, but I feel like there's a third still- of Americans over the age of 12 listen monthly. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. So it's pretty big considering like I would consider that mainstream. I think in the last year we have reached the point that I would consider mainstream. And I definitely think it will continue to grow. I mean, we are seeing more and more shows for different audiences. Like even just in the last two years, think about the number of shows hosted by and created for women have. Like it's gone from basically nothing to arguably 30 or 40%. Um, and so many more shows from like people of color. And, and the nice thing is that it is still so accessible. Like anyone can just like download Anchor on their phone, have a set of earbuds and make a somewhat decent show. Um, so that accessibility of like being able to get your voice out there, I think is what makes it so special. And I just don't want that to go away, but yeah, I see listenership definitely increasing and the market, like the dollars will keep pouring in. And once we figure out more, you know, analytics and discoverability, that'll be another watershed moment. I'm excited for our podcast future. I know, right? As I'm doubly invested in the the market, apparently. <laughs> but wait, what yeah. about your podcast, the SheePod? Is it going to come back ever? There's a SheePod I, fan amongst the bad on paper, bad on paper I love crew, that. at least one. Um, I mean, the SheePod was so fun. We did a hundred episodes over a couple of years. Um, I just don't see having time for it anytime soon, especially with our like rom-com pods plans and like running pod people. I'm about to go through an investment program for pod people. That's going to be pretty intense. So I don't know. However, and Sarah's also working on a like really cool venture now too. She was my co-host. Um, it's pet related. I don't know that I can say anything, but I will definitely uh, share it when I can. I don't know. For anyone who owns a pet, it's going to be amazing. But 
I would, I was thinking about it because I saw this question that it would be interesting to do like a one last reunion special. You know how like shows that got canceled unexpectedly will be granted like one, a couple episodes to sort of tie things up. It would oh, be fun to fun. do like, yeah, one last reunion to like close it out. Maybe I'll suggest that to her. Well, also for the SheePod fans in the audience, Rachel has another podcast called The Escape List with our friend <laughs> Maxie and Tara, which is it is not similar to the SheePod in that it is very strange and it's bonkers. It's bonkers. However, there is more Rachel to be consumed in the podcast of fear sphere. Yeah. And it's just super fun. I think it's fun. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but it's also like 15 to 20 minutes. So it's like a quick bite. And we're just suggesting things or playing games that can help you escape from the horror that is the pandemic right now. Yeah. So going back to the accessibility question thought you had a couple minutes ago, somebody wanted to know, first time podcast starter kit. What is the best equipment? How do you grow listeners? What's like the two minute starter Mm -hmm. kit? So I actually have one of our favorite studios in Brooklyn is called Full English. And he's Brit. He's a Brit, which is lovely. And he has this incredible, I guess, blog post where they outline all the different ways that you can do it and what like the cost benefit analysis is in terms of audio quality versus simplicity. Um, So I would definitely just get a USB mic to start. If you have a Mac, GarageBand is great to record in QuickTime. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be on a PC, but I actually think that his graph that he's made uh, does. So I can just share that. We can put that in the show notes. It's so much better than, you know, and I think... um, just getting a USB mic. Don't get a Blue Yeti or a Snowball. That's all I'm going to say. They're trash. Um, we've discovered this. The hot, Not that I hate, I've hated Snowballs forever, but like a few of our hosts have Blue Yetis for our shows and they just sound so much worse than other $100, $140 mics. Um, the Ars Technica like ATR2100 is a great starter and I think they have an XLR or a USB mic, but I think it would be much more helpful if I just link people to that wonderful blog post on Full English's site. Okay. So that brings us to perhaps the most interesting and fun category of the episode. People want to know all about your nomadic life. Yeah. So I call you my most nomadic friend. Somebody wanted to know what drives your nomadic lifestyle. This just became a therapy appointment, by the way. Um, Hmm. And how did you end up living in Mexico City in London? I just started taking a lot of trips. Like When I worked for myself, one of the main reasons I wanted to work for myself was so that I could you know, travel all over and like spend a week or two weeks here and there. And so, you know, going to Austin or going to spend some time with my sister, going to Columbia for a few weeks. And I just started like going to a place for a week was just not enough for me. It just feels like you can't really dig in and get to know a place the way I want to when I go visit somewhere new. Um, and so it's just slowly evolved into once I spend spend a week or two someplace and fall in love with it, then I want to figure out how to spend a month there or a summer there. And Mexico City and London have become, well, London's always been one of my favorite places. I think I'm like biased towards London and it feels like home because we spent a year in England when I was four. And so there's just what, I didn't when know I, that. Mm-hmm. When I get off the plane and I'm in London and like just surrounded by those accents, even the countryside, it just it has a sense of home and like belonging for me. And I did my semester abroad there, which I actually wish I went to Spain. And my Spanish is pretty good, but it would be way better if I had done that. I was chicken shit. I was just too scared to like go to a place where I didn't speak the language. And now I go to Mexico City once a year for a month or two. 
Um, and that came about because one of my best friends, uh, her family is from there. So I went to visit with her. And obviously I just had like the best introduction because the first place we went was her grandmother's house for, you know, homemade quesadillas. And um, we just had the best trip. Like Mexico City is just so vibrant and colorful and it's huge and there's so much to do and the food is some of the best in the world and the people are so warm. And I happen to have a lot of friends of friends there. And so I just fell madly in love with it. And it's so easy. It's so easy to get there. It's like two and a half hour flight. Bringing the butters is so easy. I don't even have to get him a health certificate anymore. Like as long as I have something that says he has his rabies shots, we can just fly there. And it's super easy. Whereas London, getting a dog into the UK is a shit show. Um, But yeah, I don't know. So I did a summer in London last year. One of my best friends lives there. And I just wanted to spend, like every time I went, it was just not enough time. So I did a whole summer. It still wasn't enough time. But, you know. Hopefully post-pandemic, there's more time. Yeah. I mean, I'll go back. Hopefully I can do it again next year. Because my plan last summer was to just stay in London and get to know it really well. And then this summer was going to use it as a jumping off point to visit a lot more places in Europe. You and I were going to go to Italy to celebrate rom-com pods, which now we can't do. Um, So that's kind of a bummer. But hopefully I'll get to do it next year. Yeah. Now, what about the logistics of that? So how do you figure out furniture and subleases when you move cities internationally? I'm so curious about this because I don't know. I feel like my apartment like keeps me kind of Brooklyn housebound. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm not precious about my space. Like I don't have anything that I think anyone would want to steal, you know, like I take my laptop with me and I have a pretty cheap sleeper couch that works fine. But like if it was to get destroyed, it wouldn't break my heart. Um, that's kind of true about all my furniture. Like it's cute, but you know, if something were to happen, it would not be the end of the world. And I mostly find subletters and sublets through friends and, Mm -hmm. or love home swap is a website that I use. Um, and people are just like home swaps are so cool. I've done a couple Airbnbs and I don't mind if I am the, the guest of an Airbnb, it's fine. But when I'm a host of an Airbnb, people are cycle psycho, especially Americans. Like they expect it to be like a hotel and it's not, that's not why Airbnb has started. Like the whole point of Airbnb was you're staying in someone's home. You have your creature comforts. I mean, when someone stays here, I'm like, use all my products, you know, wear a coat, whatever you need. It's fine. <laughs> wear um, well, I've borrowed a coat from an Airbnb host before without them knowing. And thank God it was cold. So I, I would just, not I like, like that. I'm too precious about my stuff. Yeah, I could see Grace's I'm, wheels turning. I'm like, she's this is, like freaking out. I love being a guest in an Airbnb. I love staying in one. But I, yeah. I think having someone stay in my house is not for me. I just don't care. And most yeah. of the time they're like willing to take care of the cat, which is great because it's very hard to find. I bring the dog with me, but I have a cat too. Wait, you leave so- the cat in the Airbnb? I don't really do Airbnbs because, okay. again, people are just not chill. Oh, my so God. I Tyrion would do, hate that. Yeah. I mostly do home swaps or um, friends and friends of friends, and they're yeah. super chill. They're happy to take care of her. She doesn't care as long as she's fed. Yeah. She's a much more stable. Yeah. Like, yeah. maintenance She's cat. a very independent, like, cat cat. Okay. Tyrion wants me and maybe, like, a couple friends he likes enough, but. That's how Butters is with yeah. the cat. I mean, I love her, but she doesn't need me. When I first got a cat sitter, he wouldn't come out for her for like a week. Oh, yeah. buddy. Now he likes her. He made it through. Yeah. The logistics, though, were what was I was most curious about because I love it. I mean, it's very. hard. It's re- I won't pretend that it's not hard. Going to London for the summer last year was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was definitely worth it. But that like six weeks, the three weeks before and the three weeks after I got there. Um, yeah. I don't know that I would recommend it. 
So we'll end it on this last question. What is your favorite way to make friends and get oriented when you move to a new city? Yeah. So friends of friends obviously is the most effective if you can get like a warm intro. So I'll generally post something, especially if it's somewhere new and be like, hey, does anyone have friends in Berlin or friends in Medellin or wherever I'm going? Um, The second most effective is just like networking. I'll look people up on LinkedIn that I'm either already connected to or want to be because they're in my wheelhouse. Like when I went to London, the first thing I did was set up 20 meetings with people who work at Acast and Audioboom and something else and, you know, Spotify UK and all the different companies over there. So that was helpful because obviously it's professional, you know, it's helpful professionally, but also some of them were just people I wanted to get a pint with. So (laughs) you can transition to like real friends. Um, and then bartenders and servers, like I eat out alone. I love eating out alone. I love going to a bar and having like a steak dinner and the bartenders always are great people and will have all kinds of recommendations. And generally you can also just go get a drink with them after work. And like, they will take you to the fun place that is where, you know, wherever the hospitality people are hanging out is where I want to be. So Rachel, in the tradition of our podcast, you have Mm -hmm. earned your very own desperation minute. Can you tell people where they can find you, how they can help you, whatever you want them to do for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm at Rachel G. King. I feel like rom-com pods is probably my number one, like hope, a desperation hope right now. Um, But we've covered that. So yeah. I mean, I have two other podcasts. Uh, one is called Tape Club. So if you're into podcast industry stuff, that would be helpful. It is very niche. So if you're not, you will not like it. Um, it'll be very boring. Um, and then The Escape List, which we already talked about. Um, and that's Escape List Pod on Instagram to get all the links and whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just... What's your Instagram? Did you say that? R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G. K-I-N-G. I spell my name weird. My parents said that they put the extra A in there because they thought it was more common because it was listed first. And I was like, in the baby book, the alphabetical baby book. So, but I actually like it. I do think it looks, Rachel looks more well-rounded with seven letters. Hmm. Um, So yeah, Rachel G. King on all of the things. And I would love to, yeah, follow me there. I cook a lot. So if you're into that, that's basically my Instagram is podcasts, food and cooking and animals. Enjoy. Let's talk about us stuff. Yeah. What have you been up to on Instagram this week? I have been following a lot of new accounts this week. Me too. I think this has been one of the most instantly positive outcomes. I am so excited about how many new-to-me creators I'm following and how much I'm learning from them already. Yes, I completely agree. One person that we both have on our list is Ayana. So her Instagram handle is Ayana Gabrielle Lodge. It's spelled A-Y-A-N-A-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-L-A-G-E. She is a ray of sunshine while also putting out some really smart Instagram TV um, videos. Yeah, you might have seen her. She had a, a video go viral last week about you've like posted the black square. Now what? Yeah. And um, she actually is a fashion blogger. So this is. Yeah, we've become like friends kind of. She's going to wear a piece from my drop collection. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. Yeah. So she also has great fashion content. And yeah, yeah. I've really been enjoying following her, too. Yeah, she's very cute. And she's just so – she's very, very well-spoken. Like, I was like, you should have a podcast. I would listen to you talk for an hour about literally anything. Um, I really, really enjoy following her. My other Instagram obsession this week is Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R underscore Michelle with two L's. I found her through Merit Beck. So Merit Beck 
in her newsletter last week rounded, it was like a huge list of Black content creators and artists and um, ways you can support the movement and things you can do. And I was just like really impressed by how in-depth it was, but I've always really loved art. So I was particularly excited about the list she had of Black artists to support. And um, Michelle was on there and I just immediately fell in love with all of her work. She has really cool geometric pieces of art with gold leaf. Um, There's a lot of like millennial pink combined with emerald green, which you might know is like my favorite color combination. And um, I'm like dying to own one of her pieces of art. I follow her on Instagram. I signed up for her email newsletter, but I don't know how expensive they are. So like things might be $10,000, in which case I will be talking about her on Instagram and buying her prints, but I won't be buying an original. But I'm hoping that maybe they're in my budget. I don't know. We'll find out. You showed me this before we started recording. Her art is so cool. It's really, really cool. So I brought four to the party. And these are some of the Black creators that I've started following in the past week. But I've probably started following... I don't know, way more than this, but I wanted to highlight a couple. So the first one is Hyatt Rita, and her handle is H-A-Y-E-T dot R-I-D-A, and she works for Instagram and is a fashion blogger, and she, well, first of all, her apartment and her style are both just like really incredible, but she also shoots these really cool, like they're some of the most high production um, stories and videos I've seen. Oh, I can't wait to follow her. I just followed her. Yeah. So I'm very into her. The second one, um, her handle is Tay Mocha. And she is a Bachelor contestant who I found through Ashley Spivey because she had a video about the black squares on Instagram on Tuesday. And then I just started following her after that. And she has like a really good real talk type vibe. She's a psychotherapist. She was on The Bachelor I feel like her content is more just like personal, like it's about her. She's not really about like, I don't know, she's not like technically an educator or something like that. But I feel like she just has like really good real talk story videos. So then my third one was Ayana. So we've already talked about her. Go follow Ayana Gabrielle Lodge. And then the fourth one is a specifically an anti-racism educator. And her handle is I am Rachel Ricketts. And it's R-A-C-H-E-L-R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. Hopefully by the time this airs, I've already talked about this on Instagram. But she has a webinar course called Spiritual Activism 101, which is a webinar that she did live. We're going to take it this weekend. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a webinar that she did live with people in the fall, but you can buy the replay so you can like watch it. And then I think there's like journal prompts or like conversation topics to like do yourself. But um, it seems incredible. And I think it is going to be such a good complement to some of the more like academic books about anti-racism. Like I kind of like the idea of like hearing somebody talk to me rather than like reading a book. So it feels a little bit more, I don't like, I don't think intimate's the right word. Maybe it is. But like, it's more engaging, I find. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And I've I've really enjoyed her content outside of that, too, but um, just on stories. And yeah. I like posts. her content a lot. Yeah. So those are four of the new ones I'm following. But I didn't realize how white my feed was. And e- like from following – I feel like I was following more black book people. And now I'm also following a bunch more fashion people and like just personality 
influencer. I don't know what the word is. A personality. Yeah, there's like an influencer that's not necessarily about fashion or a genre. It's just their personality. Yeah. I don't know what to call them. It's not lifestyle. No. It's like just really. It's like a personal brand person kind of. Yeah, it's like just a cool person to follow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm bringing to the, the party. Yeah. What about things that we're obsessed with? Oh, so I have gotten very in to this wireless bra. So is this the Carly bra? Yes, this is the Carly bra. So I I have big boobs. I am like a double D cup. And I have never been able to find a bralette or any kind of like comfortable wireless bra that actually fits well and isn't pornographic and I would want to wear. Yeah. So I saw Carly talking about this bra from True & Co. a few weeks ago and I texted her and I was like, should I get this? And she was like, you need this. So I kind of wasn't expecting much. I was like, I'll probably buy this and end up returning it. I love it. I love it. So it's called the True Body Lift Scoop Bra. Carly is selling the shit out of this bra. And I was like, do I want this? You want it. I don't think I do. I I mean, you have a lot of bralettes, so maybe this isn't as I novel like to you. A medium, I have like a medium-sized rack. Like they're not small, but they're not big. So I can wear like a bralette and, and that's my comfy bra. Yeah, so maybe you don't need this, but I... I don't ha- this is like revolutionized the game for me. They have a specific size. Curly for- is fanatical about this bra. It's so comfortable, Grace. It also is somehow stays in place even though it's not tight. Do you use the one with the thin straps or the thick straps? The thin straps. I think okay. the thick straps are ugly. The yeah, thin the- strap is a little better. It's not the most attractive bra, but it's okay. I think it's fine. Did you get a color? Yeah, I got the orange because it was on sale. Okay. And it's more peach than orange, but I was like, yeah, I'm just I think regular price it's like $55 and I mean, it was it like, like a 35 yeah so I was like oh I'll get this love it okay just ordered another one um I like the retro pink Ooh, I got I just got a black one in the triangle cut one okay that's in the mail and the only advice I would have to you so definitely look it up it's so comfortable and the other thing is like do you know maybe you don't know whenever I wear a comfy bra to sleep I like wake up with my boobs out like it just it doesn't stay where it's supposed to. Do you sleep in a bra? Oh, yeah. Oh. In an underwire bra. Like I sleep in a like true a third love t-shirt bra. It is more comfortable That's blowing my mind. I want to put a poll up about, about this, whether people sleep in a bra. I think I will be the minority, okay. but I think women with larger busts, generally, I feel more comfortable wearing a bra than not wearing a bra. Okay. Not from like a looks perspective, yeah. not from like a modesty perspective, just from like a comfort perspective. Okay. So- if I ever do, I have like a couple cotton bras that like I have worn to sleep in the past and I always wake up with my boobs out if I wear them. This yeah. one I slept in and it didn't happen. So I was like, it really does stay put. And I can also put a t-shirt over it and it looks totally normal. It looks like I'm wearing a regular bra. Okay. So I'm very into it. The only advice I would give you is that I think I ordered my size as indicated on the size chart. The second one I ordered was a size down because I think that this one is slightly too loose and I think I can go a size down. Okay. We'll see. Maybe the size down is going to be too small. But it's changed the game for me. I love it. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. That's like finding a good bra is like your is like the best feeling in the world. Oh, I'm into this. I feel like this is going to be my um, pandemic pants for the second half of quarantine where I'm just going to like I bought four pairs of pandemic pants. Like it's only a matter of time before I have like four of these bras. Okay. What's yours? So my obsession this week um, so first of all, just as like backstory on my blog and just 
with my money this week, I've been doing a lot of figuring out ways that I can support more Black-owned small businesses. And this one's not a small business. I will be highlighting more small businesses on my blog and as my obsessions as things start to come in the mail. But one thing I already had, which I'm excited to tell you about, is Briogeo's Avocado and Kiwi Mega Moisture Superfood Mask. And this is a hair mask. Um, I have like extremely, extremely dry hair. And it's really dry right now because I have not had a haircut in like probably nine months. I usually get my haircut every six months. Like I just don't like to cut it that much. And then I was overdue for a haircut. Like I remember I was going to Miami to shoot my drop collection. And I was like, shit, I really should get a haircut. And then I got back and we were quarantined. So I'm over three months overdue. So it's been at least nine months since I've last had a haircut. So this hair mask is making a huge difference. It just softens your hair. It's really hydrating. Avocado is such a good um, ingredient for both hair and skin when you want hydration. Like seriously, if your skin is dry, you can like mash or your hair, you can like mash up an avocado and put it on there. I have a face mask on my blog with avocado in it. But um, love this stuff. It's fantastic. And a great thing about Briogeo is that they are 100% clean too and black owned. So now I'm jealous of this. So I use the Don't Despair Repair Deep Conditioning Mask. That's also by Briogeo. Oh, I haven't tried that one. It's like has the red text on it. And I really like it. But I... It's actually really funny that you mentioned this because this was on my to-do list for this weekend. We're recording on Friday where... Okay, so since quarantine, I feel like I've gone through a hair, not a hair transformation, but I've just been washing my hair so much less frequently. Your hair looks really good. Mm. I mean, not today, but like in general, it's longer. It's like very full. I don't know. I feel like you've had some great hair moments of quarantine. It depends. So I've been washing my hair twice a week as opposed to I used to wash it every other day. And the thing that I'm noticing is that my hair has started to adjust, like my roots have started to adjust, that they don't get as oily as fast, which is good. Um, But when I don't wash my hair that frequently, by like the fourth or fifth day, my ends, like the whole mid lane through the ends is like fucking straw. Same. Well, my hair is like straw anyways. Mine usually isn't, but (laughs) now that I've gotten to this new washing routine, I feel like dryness of like my mid lane through my ends is like so much more of a thing. So it was, it's so funny. I was like, oh my God, I need to do a hair mask this weekend because I feel like my, yeah, I just have like a head of straw right now. Yeah. The hair masks help. I mean, but now I want to try yours too. You can come down and borrow it. I didn't even realize that Briogeo was black owned. I didn't either. And they also like seemed like such a big business, but like they're not that big. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I think any business that sells at Sephora yeah, is a big same. business. Katie Serino cleared that up for me another time because I was like, you're huge. You're at Ulta. And she was like, actually, not we're not really that big. So I think that sometimes when someone sold at a major retailer, you, like assume. you assume. Yeah. Or like SW Basics was sold at, I don't know if they're still at Target, but they were still a small company. Yeah. So supporting them, trying more of their products. Um and generally just like shopping more Black-owned small businesses. What about on the book front? Oh, on the book front. So I finished up. My mom and I together, we read – it was a book of the month pick from last month. We read A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. So she is the author also of Reconstructing Amelia. And Reconstructing Amelia was a mystery. It was written back in 2013. I still remember it because it was so haunting. But all of her books are always set in Park Slope, Brooklyn – which I kind of love when something's like close by us. 
and um, usually about mothers. And this one was about this woman who was brutally murdered. I was waiting for that. I was like, is this a thriller? Uh It sure is. I'm pretty predictable. So she was murdered. Her husband was then put on trial. And the other main character in the book is this woman, Lizzie, who's a lawyer. Lizzie and Amanda's husband went to college together and they have like a weird complicated backstory but lizzie agrees to represent zach and it's a twisty mystery it's great i really enjoyed it it's not a trashy thriller it's more of like a well-written mystery and it's great i'm also listening to so you want to talk about race by ijoma olu and that's been very eye-opening and like just something i'm listening to like probably like one to two chapters a day and like really reflecting and taking notes on um on my blog i've been challenging my audience and i'm doing the same thing to read at least one anti-racist book a month and that's the one i started with i chose that one because i mean just to be totally transparent back with all the alice and roman drama i realized like i don't always know how to talk about race. And, you know, things were being called out, not with her. It was actually more with the Emily Giffen stuff. I didn't quite understand. Like, I remember not understanding why Emily Giffen was calling, was being called a racist just for not liking Meghan Markle. And the book has helped me understand a lot of things. Um, I'll share them, like, as I've read more. I don't, I still don't feel qualified to, like, get up here on a soapbox and preach what I've learned. But it's a very powerful book. It's making me do a lot of thinking about my own behavior and like, you know, things that I might have had biases about in the past and not even realize. So that, and then on a lighter note, I just started, like literally just started Patsy by Nicole Dennis-Ben. And this is about a woman who immigrates with her five-year-old daughter to the United States from Jamaica. And it's like been her biggest dream to move to the United States. And then she gets here and kind of realizes the harsh truth about what being an undocumented worker is like. So so not a thriller. Not a thriller. I was just wait. I was like, and then she gets murdered or, or no. no? I but never know with you. I will tell you, this is so unrelated to what I'm reading, but it is. It's, it's all tied in. I went back um, to my, you know, I have my little reading list on my blog. Um, so you, if you go to my blog, you can filter and see all the books that I've ever read and all the genres. And then I so- sort them by rating. I'm like so proud of that page. But something I realized that like was kind of a big like palm to face moment was I went in and I added a category for books by black authors because, you know, I think right now it's so important to be reading those books and to be reading books where the main character is black so you can kind of like put yourself in their shoes. Becca, I have not read a single trashy thriller by a black author. Well, I saw you started a thread in the Facebook group about that and that people had recommendations for you. So it sounds like I've ordered about 10. Oh, wow. So you're really. So my book pile just got like a lot bigger. Okay. None of them have come yet, but I am so excited. Guys, if you have recommendations for good thrillers written by black authors, especially women, please DM them to me. There really aren't that many. Like I've been. I found a good list from Ms. Magazine, and it's going to be linked in, well, it's linked in this past Saturday's weekend reading post on my blog. But oh my God, I feel like um, there's not a lot. And I, like, there's so many great romantic comedies. There like, are. We both read a ton of romance books by black authors like Jasmine Guillory or um, Alia Hibbert. I feel like the the thriller genre is lacking in that category. So please send me recommendations if you have them. And I'm going to be putting a list together on my blog and we have the thread in the Facebook group. But this is like 
A lighter focus for me is finding those great, fun thrillers that you read in a day or two written by Black authors. Okay. Yeah. I feel like these little, I don't want to call them challenges, but these little goals we set for ourselves and things that we're doing don't all have to be really heavy. And like reading social justice books is so important, but you can also be shopping Black-owned small businesses. Shopping is very fun. I've seen a lot of quotes about like, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, yes, you know, like it's exciting that everyone wants to do the work. And I'm talking about myself just as much as anyone else, but it's like, it's about the long run. So exactly. You know, like I'm reading a heavier book, but I was just telling Grace before this that I was like, after this, I think I'm going to like walk with Gabrielle Union and read her memoir. Yeah. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Gabrielle's going to be your new Jess. She's going to be the new Jess. Walking with a memoir is really nice. It really is. Because it's like you're walking with a friend, but you don't have to participate yeah, in the Yeah, they're like telling you their stories. Yeah. I'd rather listen than talk. So I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> it's an introvert's dream. So I am reading Rodham right now by Curtis Sittenfeld. And I posted about this on my story the other weekend, and so many people were like, tell me thoughts. And I was like, my chapter one, calm this. down. Like, I don't have any thoughts yet. I am about two-thirds of the way done, and I'll give you my final thoughts next week. It is good, but it is a weird experience to read it because Hillary Clinton is obviously, so it's a fictionalized version of what Hillary Clinton's life would be like if she didn't marry Bill Clinton. So she still meets him and is together with him in law school, but then they break up and she goes on and lives a totally different life. It is very weird to read a fictionalized version of events of a real person's life because it is now very hard for me to separate real Hillary Clinton from fictional Hillary Clinton. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like a weird dissociative thing where I don't, I'm not, I don't dislike it, but I'm like, my mind just feels mixed up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where I fall on this. I'll let you know next week. Also, I will just say this because I was not expecting it. There are sex scenes. I don't want to think about that. Which I guess makes sense when you think about Bill Clinton's story of infidelity that like he would be a sexual person. There would have to be a sexual element to his relationship with Hillary. I didn't expect that coming into this book. It's not like super graphic, but yeah, there's a lot of Bill and Hillary Clinton sex. I don't know that I want that, but I also really want to read this book. So I'm like two thirds away through that. And then I'm also right now listening to White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And I bought a bunch of anti-racism books through the Lit Bar, which is a black owned bookstore in the Bronx. They're all back ordered. So I also used I had an abundance of Audible credits. So I used some of my Audible credits to download um, the audiobook version as well. And I'll still get the hard copy. And this one has been, I'm about two thirds of the way through this one as well. It has been so illuminating uh, for reflecting on my own thoughts and just ingrained ideas and kind of reevaluating everything. It's been, I highly recommend it. I will say that it's a little drier and that's why I'm really enjoying listening to it rather than reading it, because you know that I have known problems with nonfiction. Yes. And so I think that listening to it, because I've been going on so many walks recently, has made at first that I'm like, I listen to it like an hour a day while I'm on my walk. And I also think that like moving while I listen to it is kind of a good way to offset it because it like, it makes me uncomfortable to read it in terms of like how it makes me inwardly reflect. So I think also the the process of moving and like walking while I do it like helps me burn off a little anxiety. I feel exactly you just articulated something I've been thinking too and I couldn't quite put my words to it because like I I've been listening to mine 
as I do chores or as I walk. And both like having like that movement while I walk or do a chore helps versus just sitting quietly. Yeah, I feel like I would be reading it much more slowly if I was reading it in hard copy, which isn't bad. But I think that when I get the hard copy of mine, I'm going to reread it and just like underline some of the more important things. Like I've been making notes in a little notebook. I'm such a nerd. But um, it's that's definitely helped. Yeah. Um. So that is what we've got for you today. If you would do me a solid and go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening, that would help us out enormously. You can also follow us on Instagram at Romcom Pods, and I'm on Instagram at Becca M Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. I have a blog. It's called thestripe.com. Go check it out. And we have a Facebook group for the podcast, which has tons of good book discussion and also other miscellaneous discussion as well. So search Bad on Paper on Facebook and join the group for more. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.